Good morning. Very warm welcome to you on uh, this day uh, where we come together to worship God. And so I'd like to just uh, say, may you know God's loving presence with, with us here as we gather to worship him. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 145. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. So let's worship God and you're welcome to stand as we sing our first hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. That's mission praise number 237. i 
Let's pray together. Almighty God, Lord of all the earth, as we gather this morning to worship you and bring you our praise and thanksgiving, may we give you all honor and glory for your great love for us in sending your Son, Jesus, into our world to be our Savior. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you have given us so much and that you delight to give good gifts to your children. Grant us greater understanding of your love and teach us to know you more fully and to live in the power of your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for being so often distracted from what is important and for failing to love you or to love each other as we should. Forgive us for words and actions and attitudes that harm rather than build up in love. Cleanse us and renew us once again that we may walk in step with your spirit and demonstrate your love this day and every day through Jesus Christ our Lord who taught us to pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I've got something with me today in the Bible, which um, I'm uh, going to reveal now. It's actually a pair of binoculars. And uh, let's just a wee look, see who's here today. Yeah, are some people waving to me this morning? Let's see who's over here. Yes. Okay, now um, this isn't just a, a new thing that I'm going to bring my binoculars, just to make sure you're paying attention during the service, but uh, um, this is actually just to get us to think about how um, sometimes we need to look further, further away because we can be so focused on our, our own lives, what's happening around us. Um, sometimes it's good to have a look a bit further. And um, what we're thinking about today and what many of you have probably been thinking about is that um, things are happening in our world where um, the weather's getting warmer and in other places, which we don't often see unless perhaps we look at our news, um, there's actually things happening like uh, people are having flooding or storms which are unseasonal and things are not going well for other people. Um, maybe their crops have been affected, maybe their homes have been um, affected as well. And the thing is that uh, um, part of the reason for that is, is what's happening here and other places. We are using lots of energy, we're using lots of fuel, and that's causing uh, part of the, the, the planet to, to heat up. And uh, of course, we, we want to make sure that we, what we do doesn't, uh, um, isn't causing difficulty for other people. And I'm sure um, what Jesus says to us is uh, that we are to do to other people what we would want them to do for us. And I'm sure that if we asked other people, um, you know, what would we want 
what would they want us to do for them? I'm sure they would say, well, uh, be, be aware of what's happening for us and, and uh, do something about it. And that's, um, that's really what the conference that's coming up next week, um, actually starting next Sunday in Glasgow, the COP26 is about. It's about helping us to do something about this uh, warming up of our weather. And so we're going, to, we're going to think about that as we pray now. So it's just to think, well, sometimes we get focused on ourselves so much, it's good to, to look further and think and reflect on how we can change what we're doing. And uh, so we're going to pray for those that are gathering. Um, we'll be praying again a bit later on as well. Um, but we're going to pray now uh, for all the people coming because they're going to try and see what um, governments and other people can do about it so that the temperature doesn't go up too much and so that we can help those other people that we don't often see with our own eyes but are out there and need our help. So let's, let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for the world that you have made and for all the people in many places and the animals and the plants and the birds and the fish. We ask that you would help those who are meeting in Glasgow to know the best ways to make changes that will help us all and help us to do what we can to help care for other people in your world to do to others what we would want them to do for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to have our next song now, and that's One More Step Along the World I Go, Mission Praise 1346. to the new keep me traveling along 
Our reading this morning is from the Old Testament from the book of Daniel, and we're reading chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed round his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. What it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed, don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what the writing means. So Daniel was brought before the king and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. 
If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed round your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the, the, writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your Majesty, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel parson. Here is what these words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Peris. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed round his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Amen. Now let's praise God together in singing our next hymn. It's going to be um, Mission Praise number 486. Now thank we all our God.
Let's pray as we come to God's word. Lord God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us in our lives, that um, whatever we go through, that you are there, um, and that you invite us to call on you and to receive your help and your hand to lift us up and to help us on our way. And Lord, we thank you for those that have helped us on our way as well through our own lives. And we thank you, Lord, for this time when we can come and hear from you, uh, hear from your words, what you want to say to us, to encourage us in our lives, to help us and strengthen us. And we thank you that you help us to see what uh, you have for us and to hear what you have for us by your Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of King Belshazzar's banquet is the original source of the well-known phrase, the writing is on the wall. So today, if someone says to you, uh, the writing was on the wall, it means the signs were there that something was about to happen, and it's usually not something good. The writing on the wall we read about in this chapter, chapter 5 in Daniel, is really um, about words of judgment for the king at the time, Belshazzar. They're an assessment of his life and his conduct from God's point of view, and he clearly comes up short. The words are written on the wall supernaturally by God and interpreted for the king by Daniel, um, who is one of his advisors, who originally was uh, from Jerusalem, but taken into exile with, with some of the others at that time. And Daniel tells him that he's been weighed in God's scales and found wanting. His days are numbered. His reign as king is ended and his kingdom will be divided and it will all happen that day. It's not though some arbitrary judgment on him. There is a specific reason why King Belshazzar is being judged in this way. We're told that he had the example of his father, King Nebuchadnezzar, who he obviously grew up in with, and uh, he saw how his father as king had uh, been quite arrogant in some of his ways, and uh, God had humbled him. And after that time, uh, his father Nebuchadnezzar had turned to acknowledge that God is the the God overall, God most high, and had honored God after that. But Belshazzar has done something very disrespectful, dishonoring to, to God. We're told that he used the gold and silver goblets which had been taken from God's temple in Jerusalem and disregarded what their purpose was, their holy purpose. Instead, they were used that day in drunken revelry by the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines, while they praised other gods, which were not really gods at all. 
And Daniel explained to the king, you praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Now, Daniel, he didn't really want to accept the gifts from the king for interpreting these words uh, for him, but the king honors him anyway and gives him a high position. However, a few hours later, we're told at the end of the chapter, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62, and uh, Darius was the one in the Lion's Den uh, chapter, which we'll be coming to next week. Sometimes when we read chapters like this in the Bible, we might be left wondering, well, what's this all got to do with me today? And that's always a very good question because God's Word isn't supposed to be read and dismissed as just being relevant some ancient time ago, but not related to our lives today. Rather, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all God's Word is relevant to us. It says there, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what can we say about this passage in the book of Daniel? One thing it highlights is that it's what God says about us that really counts. It's what God says about us that really counts. People write all kinds of things about others or even about themselves. For example, words shared in an obituary or on an epitaph are usually written as a reflection of how a person has lived or what they were like, viewed from the perspective of those who knew them. A few weeks ago, I was sharing a little bit about the, the life of George Washington Carver and how when he prayed, God helped him to discover the secrets of the peanut and develop a whole industry around it in the American South. Even though he started life in slavery, with no formal education. His epitaph reads, a life that stood out as a gospel of self-forgetting service. He could have added fortune to fame, but caring for neither, he found happiness and honor in being helpful to the world. The center of his world was the South, where he was born in slavery some 79 years ago, and where he did his work as a creative scientist. What great words to reflect a life. Others have fewer words written, but they can still say something to reflect the character or perhaps even the humor of the person. The British comedian Spike Milligan, for example, has a very short epitaph. On his gravestone are a few chosen words written in Irish which, when translated, say, I told you I was ill. The words people write or say about others or even about themselves 
can be quite enlightening. However, in the grand scheme of things, they're not the most important words of all. The most important words belong to God. And it's what God says about us that really counts in the long run. One of the reasons for that is that God, our almighty and eternal God, is also the God, is also who knows, the person who knows us the best, better than anyone else, even better than we know ourselves. In fact, he knows us completely. So whatever God says about us is going to be completely true and accurate. In Psalm 139, for example, we're reminded of this great knowledge God has and how we're, com we're completely familiar to him. It begins in the first five verses there in that Psalm, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This complete knowledge God has for us and about us could be completely daunting. If we were to imagine what God might write about our lives, measured by his perfect standards, how would our lives weigh up in his scales? What about our failures, our sins? The thing is, God knows that by our own efforts, we will never match up to his standard of goodness and holiness. He knows we all fall short. He knows we're all in need of his grace and his forgiveness. That's why he made a way for us to have a fresh start. And he did it by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life, all goodness, all love, no sin, no darkness, only light, only life and fullness. And he died for us to take the penalty for our sins. Because in the day Jesus died for us, suffering a death designed for the worst of criminals, some words were written on his cross. Except unlike others suffering the same fate, whose crimes were written and posted for all to see, with Jesus there were no crimes to declare. Jesus had done no wrong. The writing when Jesus died was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Jesus the King, who is God's Son, our Savior, bore our sins. All the many sins in our lives were written to his account. Though we are the ones whose lives come up short in the scales of God's perfect standard. Jesus is the one who paid for them all.
The New Living Translation of Romans chapter 3 from verse 21 puts it this way, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive God's forgiveness and the gift of everlasting life. It's like a great exchange. We, our sin is taken from us and transferred to him. We don't have to carry the burden of guilt anymore. Instead, God graciously gives us the gift of his righteousness and his presence with us. And through faith in Jesus, we get to travel through life with God who speaks his words of life over us and to us. Here are just a, a few examples of those words from God's word. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See what a great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. You are precious and honored in my sight. And Psalm 119, verse 89, tells us that God's word is eternal and his faithfulness continues through all generations. So today, our, our living Lord Jesus, who is also described as the Word of God, invites us to respond to him, to his invitation to receive God's forgiveness and life to know the loving presence of God's Spirit with us day by day and to begin to write a new chapter in our lives with him. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Let's pray. Eternal and 
ever faithful God, your word stands forever and your promises are sure. Thank you that we can put our trust in you and know that through our Lord Jesus we may receive your words of hope and life, forgiveness and healing. And so we give you our thanks and praise that your steadfast love never ceases, your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Gracious God, we bring now the needs of our world and the people around us before your throne of grace. Lord, we bring before you the COP26 meeting in Glasgow next week. We pray for peaceful discussions during this time, for wisdom and guidance for heads of state and government ministers as they bring their nation's priorities to the table and that the voices of those most affected by climate change will be amplified and brought to their attention. Lord, give boldness to leaders that they will be ambitious in making decisions that will secure a safer world for the benefit of all. We pray for wealthier, influential nations to make decisions that will benefit, not hinder countries struggling with debt. We pray for an increase in awareness of the importance of our Earth's resources and positive steps to be taken in preserving these. Lord, we ask for transformation and breakthrough to be achieved at COP26 that will create a positive impact for the future and that hope would be at the heart of COP26 rather than worry, uncertainty, anger or dissension. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. loving God, in our own families and communities. Bring your peace, which passes all human understanding, to those in any kind of distress in body, mind, or spirit. Bring your healing to the sick, your comfort to the grieving, and your strength to the weak. And for any others known to us in our other particular needs, we ask that you would bring Bring them your peace and your provision. Eternal God, we thank you for those known to us and those dear to us who have shared the faith and who now live in your nearer presence. Give us grace to live for your glory throughout our lives until we share with all your saints in your everlasting kingdom the great banquet feast of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You're welcome to stand now as we sing together our closing hymn, O God, Our Help in Ages Past, Mission Praise number 498. Past our hope for years to come. 
The peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you this day and remain with you always. Amen. <laughs>